Well, we are in our week five of our series entitled Call of Duty, and it's entitled Call of Duty because it is our calling and it is our duty uh, to fight spiritual warfare. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, we are, are in the battlefield, whether you realize it or not. In fact, week one, we talked about that. Week one, we talked about how there's an invisible world around us that we can't see, and a part of that invisible world, there's an invisible war that's going on, that's raging between good and evil. And it's not just some sort of mythology. It's not some sort of you know, from a movie or from books. It is from the book, and we get all that information uh, from here. And there's a formidable foe who desires to cause apprehension, fear, and dread, and that is Satan and his demons. And, uh, but we can fight from a position of victory not for victory, but from victory, because the battle has already been won. The, uh, the devil likes to also uh, fight our marriages and our relationships. We saw that in week two, and we, see, we saw how it, that even happened with Adam and Eve, and the same steps that, that the devil used to, uh, to fight Adam and Eve, he, he's using that to fight our marriages today. And usually when he fights marriages, he gets us when we feel like we're alone. When we're all alone, that's when he attacks the most, as we saw with Eve. And we, um, we saw how the devil likes to turn commandments into questions. God gave commands. He turned it into questions. God gave us boundaries in a marriage. He will question that. He will twist that. In fact, he would twist it so much that he will help make you feel like a victim in your marriage. That's exactly what he did with Adam and then with Eve in, that, um, in the garden. And then once we feel like a victim, we begin to believe his lies and we begin to live out the fantasies and the desires. And then ultimately, we fall into somewhere we, don't, we, we weren't planning on going. And um, we even blame our spouse um, or we try to hide our sin and it could be a really, really big mess. But it all starts, starts with the evil getting us when we are alone or when we feel like we're alone in our marriage. Week three, we talked about uh, the identity theft, how the, uh, the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. And the, then the thing that he likes to steal the most is our identity, who we are. We are the blood-bought uh, believers of Jesus Christ. If we have given him our life, and the devil doesn't want us to believe that. And so he's trying to go after your identity. We saw how he even went after Jesus. I mean, he had the nerve to go even after the Son of God with the temptations there in the wilderness. And we saw how he tempted him, uh, he, how he tempted Jesus with the performance identity. If you're, if you're hungry, you could turn these stones into bread. You can eat, okay? And uh, Jesus didn't need to do that. He didn't need to show his power with that. And a lot of times, uh, Satan will use the performance identity. And so when we feel like we have to perform and when we fall short of that, guess what? It hurts our identity because we are tied, we tie our performance up with our identity, and that is not God's plan for our life. And so Satan has done a great job with tying the performance into our identity. Same with possessions or power or positions. Certain possessions, you want to have certain possessions in order to uh, feel like you're worthy, okay? Uh, our net worth is not what matters in our life. And then also uh, pride. 
We like to have, um, you know, the acceptance and the approval and the significance from others to feel like we can have that sort of identity. Our identity is not in the approval of others. But that's what a lot of us believe, and that's what Satan has done through our culture and our life. And so he has taken, tried our best to steal our identity through those ways. And then last week, our, student, our family pastor, Joe Salvatore, did a great job of talking about how uh, the devil de- um, tries to steal our next generation. And, and we've got to um, defend that next generation. There are, there are things right now Satan is doing in our next generation of kids and college students. And, uh, and we as believers, we've got to step up against that. So I encourage you to watch that sermon and then all the sermons in the series on our website. So today, I feel led uh, for us to look at how the devil attacks the church, particularly the local fellowship of believers. Today, we're going to look at four specific areas that reveal Satan's strategies. The title of today's message is, The Devil Attends Our Church. <laughs> the Devil Attends Our Church. Now, if that thought sort of offends you, then I just don't want you to be naive about how the devil loves to be interested in what goes on in your church or the church or even right here at Lake Point Church. The biblical worldview is of a great cosmos battle between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. Christians are those who have changed sides in that battle. We see this in um, and as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and, and I'm going to be uh, in various passages of Scripture today, but in this particular um, letter to uh, the church at Ephesus, uh, Paul writes in, in chapter 2, uh, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So what Paul is saying, look, you used to live a certain way, but guess what? You cross over to the kingdom of light. You cross over to the other side. And because of that, Satan realizes that line, and he's after the church. He's after you, church, us, Satan attends our church. When Christians gather as a church, we become a real threat to Satan. We are here to worship. We are here to pray and to teach and encourage one another to live and proclaim the kingdom of God and as such proclaim the enemy's defeat. It is apparent that Satan would do all that he can to prevent that from happening. We saw an example of that in COVID, doing everything he can to to prevent people from meeting together. And even now, we're still not in capacity, okay? And I'm not talking about just Lake Point Church. I'm talking about the Big C Church. We're still not there. Satan has done an amazing job at that. The real danger for us is is being unaware of the enemy's schemes. 
We approach every difficulty in church as though it is just a natural thing. When church, churches divide over whether what songs we sing, and, and I've been a part of churches, we don't really have that here at Lake Point Church, but as a worship pastor, I've been a part of multiple churches where they just bicker and fight about you know, the modern uh, songs over the, the hymns of faith, or, and, and they, they fight over which songs we should do, and, and, and it's crazy. That is not natural for the body of Christ to fight that way. It is not natural. I've seen this before too. When the flock turns on the shepherd, it is not natural. When believers who are called to live in love spend their time criticizing and accusing one another, it is not natural. So we can't just say, oh, that's just a natural way. That's just things that churches just have to deal with. That is not natural. The devil has entered the building. The devil has attended the church, and yes, the devil has even filled out a connection card. In his book, The Devil Goes to Church, Dr. David Butts, who's a chairman of the National, uh, Prayer, a National Day of Prayer Committee, shares how Satan does basically the same thing over and over again in church after church, down through the ages. Through his experience and his study of Scripture, Dr. David Butts categorizes Satan's attacks on the church in four specific ways, and those are the ways we're going to talk about today. What are the four ways that Satan likes to attack the church? You are the church. We, the church. Online, you're part of the church, okay? How does the enemy attack? Through doubt, through deceit, through discouragement and division. That's how the enemy attacks the church. And I would encourage you to get that book, The Devil Goes to Church. So let's look at the first one, doubt. Sowing doubt has been one of the enemy's weapons from the very beginning. In Eden, the serpent stirred up doubt in Eve, causing her to sin. He caused her and Adam to doubt God's word, asking this question. If you remember, we talked about this during when, when uh, we talked about how the enemy attacks marriages. Did God really say? You can almost hear Satan's voice continuing. You don't really believe that, do you? Did God really say? That same voice and that same voice today is asking the same questions, causing Christians to begin to doubt God his written word, and how he speaks today. The way God speaks today, as evidenced by his word and, and, and through a great study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, God speaks in four different ways. He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer. And prayer isn't just a one one-way communication, it is a two-way communication between you and God through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through his people, through the church, through other believers, and he speaks through circumstances. We believe God has spoken to us as a church in a variety of ways. Here at Lake Point Church, there's lots of ways that God has spoken to us. For example, 
I met the visionary for Lake Point Sports back in 2012. While she, he's a believer. And while sharing with him God's call for me to plant a church somewhere, this Christian visionary entrepreneur asked me to plant a church there at Lake Point. I was looking outside our state to, to, to start a church, not down the street. But after involving several other Christian leaders in prayer, one of those being our director of missions, David Franklin here at Bartow Baptist Association, and my current pastor, the church I was serving, First Baptist Cartersville. Leaders, as we began praying, we felt God was speaking to plant right here in Emerson. The idea was to be on the property of Lake Point and reach the local families as well as those who were coming in for sports tournaments. But after a few years, Lake Point was bought by another company and forced to face bankruptcy. Man, things change. In fact, the visionary that even put that idea out there through the Holy Spirit, and as we began praying, that same visionary was even let go from this company, Lake Point. Satan used that opportunity to get into my head, to my heart. Did God really say? There it is, doubt. Did God really say? Doubt. Satan has even used others to verbally question how God had spoken. And I go back to how God spoke through other believers and through prayer to respond to Satan with, yes, God really did say. Another example how God spoke into our church involved our church property. After completing a, a church-wide fast and the Holy Spirit spoke to me in prayer as the pastor of the church on the last day of this fast a few years ago, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, said, I need you to call about this land. It's a piece of property. I just had driven by a few times, right on here on 4th Street in Emerson. Something special about that property. Didn't have a for sale sign. It's beautiful. But I couldn't get that property out of my head. I didn't know who owned it. And on the last day of the fast, Holy Spirit called. So I was able to find out about who owned that property. Many of y'all know the story, some of you don't. So I called about the property. It was owned by three siblings, two brothers and a sister. It's been in their land for, uh, their family for over 100 years. And these three siblings live on different corners of, of the state, don't live anywhere near each other. But just so happened that on the day that I called, prompted by the Holy Spirit, and in fact, the same time I called, that all three siblings were sitting down together in one of the houses, in fact, the house that I called. And they had just decided 
that they were going to sell the land. And while they're sitting at the desk, at the table, the dining room table, the phone call rang. It was a pastor of Lake Point Church. Some would say that's coincidence. You can say that if you want. I don't think it is. I think it's God speaking. And so through that, God began a journey. We began raising funds for that. Did we raise all the funds? No. Just like many churches, whether it's a building project or go get land, they try to raise as much as they can, and they borrow the rest. That's what we did. But even through that, through that borrowing, which we owe 188000 owing $188,000 on 20 acres of land in Emerson is a, a, a pretty cool thing, actually. Now, obviously, we would... We would love to not have to owe any, but the fact that God has provided through your giving, your sacrifice and giving, your prayer, and, and through others, and even, even outside of our church, different foundations have come alongside, and they have helped to bring that down to 188,000 for a future location. Some may question God's will. Did God really say you could purchase the land. The literal, literal voices in my ears and my head created doubt. But I go back to how God spoke, and my answer is, yes, God did most certainly say. He spoke through circumstances. He spoke through prayer. But the devil used doubt. He does. He brings doubt into the church. Another example, a third and final example, how God has spoken to our church is when we lost our church offices back in March. Due to the building being sold, we, and we weren't paying any rent. We were with the Barta Baptist Association. They needed to sell their building, and it was the right thing to do for them. And so we asked God to turn this into an opportunity by providing us with a solution. So I began praying on my knees for two days. 48 hours later, we received a phone call that North Cobb Christian School wanted to give us a 2,500-square-foot building that is now sitting on our future church property. In fact, I... I uh, I loved uh, sharing this to our staff and, 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 and elders and our team. But during, and some of you who live in Emerson know this, <laughs> during the last several months, this building, which is basically a, a triple-wide modular building, and it's, it's a very solid commercial building, it's not a mobile home. It's in great condition. But for several months, this building sat in three separate pieces on our property. And I would go by, I would drive by many times, and I would pray over that building. <laughs> now, it was secured. It was wrapped in and everything, but... Still, I was like, God, this is your building. I need you to protect this building. 
Never have I prayed that God would protect a building. But I'm telling you, church, while that building sat there for several months, do you think Satan crawled in my head with doubt? You better believe it. You better believe it. And there are a few people here at church who, who, who know who you, you are. You would actually even come to me and say, Frank, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. It's God's will. And I thank you for that. Thank you. But the devil would, was whispering, did God really say you're supposed to have a presence on your land? Did God really say you should even plant this church? Did God really even say you should have a future location? Did God really even say you're supposed to have a presence on the property, even though a building has been given to you? Now, even though a building's been given, there's, there are things that's got to be done, and it, and, it, and it costs money. But my answer to the devil has been, yes, God really did say. And our donated building is now sitting together, sealed up on our church property, on concrete footers, ready to be used as a ministry center for our church and our community. We have big plans for this ministry center. I can't wait for you to see it. Satan will use doubt whenever possible. Satan will come in to a church and will use doubt over and over again. And yes, he will even use people inside the church to create that doubt. Satan will use doubt in your personal life, even when you fall into sin. I've had it happen to me. Did God really, did God really forgive you for that? Can God really use you like this? Can God really use you in this state? Can God really use you in knowing what you've done? Satan will create doubt, come into your, come into your mind. The enemy continues to work at trying to separate us from Christ, even though he can't have the power to do that because nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. But the best way to counter that with the truth of God's word and the history of how he has spoken to your life. And this is the reason why things like baptism are so important. Because you can turn to a moment of accepting Christ as Savior, and you can then go, go to the moment and say, I was baptized, and I told people that I accepted Jesus, and I was going to follow him, and he is Lord and Savior of my life. And when you have that tangible moment of the old self and of the new self rising up, you can look at Satan in the eyes and say, yes, he did call me. And yes, he can use me. I am bought with the blood of Jesus. And yes, he forgave me. Church is powerful. So Satan will use doubt. Second thing that we find in that book, is Satan will use deceit. This should not be a surprise since Jesus himself described Satan as a liar. 
Satan delights in twisting the truth, confusing people and leading them into error. That's rather obvious when you look at the conditions of Christian doctrine, both inside and outside the church. And I've even fallen victim of this myself as a pastor, spoken things outside of of what I need to speak. But obviously, it's a, it's a much bigger issue in, in many, many churches as Christian doctrine is being watered down. It, it may be subtle as a lack of understanding concerning Christian great, grace or as obvious as those who deny the inspiration of the Bible, which some do that. The Apostle Paul speaks of difficult times for the church in the last days, especially in regard to truth. You know, there's many, there's many Bible studies out there. We have, this, we have this great resource that you have access to, and if you want to make sure you can have access to, just let us know. But right now, media, you can go in there. You, there's all kinds of media out there uh, where you can grow in your faith. I mean, uh, you can use your Bible app to, um, to, to go to any scripture and even have uh, passages there and have some devotionals. There's lots of ways for you to study scripture, but we debate the meaning a lot of times rather than living out the intent of God's word. We have fallen into the trap that James warns us about. James 1.22, just this one verse, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Studying scripture without doing it is one of Satan's great deceits. It's, a great, it's great to study scripture, 100%, absolutely. And it's okay to even kind of debate that, that scripture and to talk about it and wrestle with it. But the most important thing we can do as a believer of Christ is to take this word and live it out by faith. There are times in my life, many times in my life, when I've made decisions and, and, and maybe talked to people in a certain way that I shouldn't have, that I've gone back to his word, and his word says, no, I don't think so. You need to go back and fix that. And I've had to go back and fix it. Why? Because I've got, I've got to live by this book. I don't need to just study it. I want my life to be a mirror of this book, of God's word. And that is a goal for all of us. Do I live it perfectly? Those who know me, you know better. You know that. I don't. But that is our goal. So the devil uses doubt. He uses deceit, deceitfulness. He also uses discouragement. One of the main passages of the scripture we often use to hit people over the side of the head, especially in today's post-COVID world, is in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, just these two verses, and it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. There, that's what we like to hit people over the head. Don't, don't give up meeting together. You need to come to church, as some in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The focus of this patch is, is not merely about attending a meeting, but in the process, 
encouraging one another. We have it right there. Encouraging one another. One of the very practical reasons for the scriptural command is to counter the enemy's strategy of discouraging the believers. Many faithful Christians who have withstood really, really big frontal attacks of Satan in the area of morality and truth and righteous living have found themselves blindsided by discouragement. The devil uses discouragement over and over and over again. In my eight years or so of being a pastor, boy, that has jumped to a whole nother level. Discouragement. Discouragement. I know people in this room and those watching online, you pray for your pastor. I thank you. Pray harder against a spirit of discouragement. For those who haven't, I encourage you to do that. And while we're here together as a body of believers, we need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another to walk in the faith, to be involved in the church, to be a part of the family of God, not discourage people, not to bring doubt or question to people. We need to encourage people to be a part of what God wants to do in his local church. A few words of criticism here and there, and some of the strongest believers can easily go down to the pit of discouragement. One example we see in, of Elijah, the great prophet. Following his great victory over the, the prophets of Baal, when he called fire from heaven, an incredible scene that I would, I would, I would love to be able to have seen In the wake of that victory, Queen Jezebel ordered his execution. In fear, Elijah ran and ended up in this situation. So here you have a man of God, a prophet of God, who hears from the Lord, the Spirit of God, and then he tells what the Lord says, and he obeys, and yet he's running in fear. We see this in 1 Kings 19, three through four. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I've had enough. I give up. I'm done. I'm done. Imagine if Elijah would have said and followed through with that. I'm done. It took the intervention of the Lord himself, if you read on in that passage, to bring Elijah out of that depressed mood. Now, you may have not sat under a tree and desired to die, but I'm sure, like me, you've said, God, I can't do this any longer. The shots, the hits are coming day after day. I don't know how much more I can take of this. Have you ever asked the Lord that? Have you ever told the Lord that? I have. 
100%. Discouragement can hit us all. The great word of God to the church in this case is that we are called to be an encouragement to one another. That's what it says there in Hebrews 10. We, that's where we find encouragement. Why would we discourage others? Why would we bring doubt into, into people's life? Why would we question things? Why would we bring criticism? We must encourage one another. We are called to build one another up in faith. Our gatherings need to be times of great encouragement. The church, there's a place of support and edification to thwart the enemy's plans of discouragement. Just sometimes we need to ask ourselves, me included, is there anything I'm doing to cause discouragement? on my brothers and sisters? How am I bringing encouragement to others? When is the last time I encourage one another, another brother or sister in Christ? Because we all need encouragement. So the devil attacks the church through doubt, through deceit, through discouragement, and here's the last one, division, division. One of the most effective strategies of Satan has been to bring about division in the body of Christ. It makes sense that the enemy would push for a splintered, divided church since Jesus desired exactly the opposite. He desired the opposite. We see this in, in the book of John, chapter 17. In the book of John 17, feel free to turn me if you want, verses 20 through 23, we see this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. He's not praying just for the disciples, okay? Because earlier in that section, he prayed for the disciples, and now he's going beyond the disciples. Guess what? This prayer is for you. This prayer, when he, when he prayed this prayer, he was thinking about the church. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have come, and I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved as you have loved me. A strong united church is a testimony to the world of the love of God. Tomorrow we 
our family celebrates a very important day. Um, some of you in this room and some maybe even watching online have noticed through this process. But tomorrow we celebrate 10 years of what is called Gotcha Day. Gotcha Day is an, is an adoption term where it's the day that we got them. 10 years, 10 years ago, from tomorrow, we celebrate this. Suzanne and I walked off the orphanage property with Lawson, Marion, and Lincoln. Got in a taxi and made our way to the capital of Ukraine and then ultimately to Atlanta, Georgia and to an incredible experience that was the good, the bad, the ugly, and the blessed. Just like raising kids. But I'll never forget, in order for them to come live with us, they had to stand before a judge, look at that judge in the eye, look to us, two strangers, even though we've, we were hanging out with them for a few weeks, trying to get to know them as best we can, but looking at the judge in the eye and say, yes, we choose them. We choose them. Not only was it us celebrating gotcha day, but, it, but it's them getting us. It's a combination. It's, it, it's such a, an incredible example of, of unity. Have we had problems? Have we had issues? Absolutely. 100%. Have we had joys? Yes. Have we had tears? Yes. Have we had triumphs? Yes. Have we had fights? Yes. But in the process of that, God has brought unity of hearts. We celebrate that. Church, just like an adoption, we choose one another. We choose one another. Um, we, things can seem to be a little messy sometimes. I realize that. And trust me, I look to myself as a leader and just hit myself across the head and say, you knucklehead. Actually, I use stronger words than that that I can't really say from the state <laughs> to myself. But in the end, what did Jesus want us to do there in, in, in chapter 17? He wants us to love one another. He wants us to love one another. That will show unity. It will show unity, not division. Because that is the enemy's, I think the biggest weapon of the four is division. But if we're aware of that, if we walk and if we're aware of that, that that was one of his greatest schemes, then 
we can be prepared for it and we can watch when it happens and we can defeat it and say that is not gonna happen. And if you have been a victim of some sort of division or even division talk, I encourage you, bring it before the Lord, bring it before others. Where the sources come from and say, not here, not today. We're gonna walk in unity. We are going to walk in unity. And ask yourself this question, what is the enemy really trying to do here? Yeah, we need to talk things out, 100%. We don't need to just put things under the rug. There's ways of doing things. But we've gotta make sure that we don't allow the enemy to come in and cause division. And Dr. David Butts, who, again, chairman of the National Day of Prayer Committee, ultimately, his, he, he says this in his book. He says, ultimately, the thing that's going to win over division in the church is prayer. It's prayer. A prayer meeting is more important than a board meeting. <laughs> Not saying that other meetings aren't important, but prayer meeting is the most important thing. I've shared this before in the last few weeks. We have prayer time here in this room at 10.30 every Sunday morning, except when we have breakfast Sunday because that's a, a church-wide fellowship and it's really difficult to kind of do both of that. But we have prayer gatherings here every Sunday at 10.30. Now, is it a guided sort of prayer? Do we list other prayer requests? No, we, we just... We open it up, try to turn the lights down, try to bring the music down a little bit, try to remove the distractions, and we just invite people to pray. I invite you to pray. Come early, 1030. What are you gonna pray? Well, you can start by praying against the devil's schemes of the church. Doubt, deception, discouragement, division. You can pray against those things. You can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and move in an incredible way in our services. You can pray for encouragement to lift up people in our church who may feel have come on upon a season of discouragement. You can pray and lift others up. That's what you can do. This morning, we've had others in the past, but this morning we had three people praying in our church at 10.30. Two of those were me and my wife. One of them was an elder. And I encourage more people to come. I encourage more people. And usually there's more than three. But I encourage you to come. I don't say that to discourage you. I'm just letting you know, hey, it's available, it's here. Let's, let's just get on our knees and pray. I like to walk around. I just, I just pray better doing that. Others sit, others get on their knees, others sit in chairs, others sit on the floor, whatever. But prayer is the way we're going to defeat the enemy.
as we lift up the name of Jesus together and as we pray together in this room. So do what you can to get here. Do what you can to get here. 10.30, we'll be here next week. Not the week after that, we won't, sorry. I mean, I won't, but it'll still be available, okay, because we're gonna be out of town that Sunday after Thanksgiving. But know this, you know, we're here, let's do this next week, and let's continue on, and let's show the devil we mean business. We mean business because the devil attends our church, and we need to call him out, and we need to be aware of his schemes. As I close, every head bowed, every eye closed, um, you know, if, if, if you have sensed the devil working in your life and in your mind, like I shared personal stories, how the devil is, has worked with doubt. Maybe the, maybe the devil has put doubt in your mind. And, and the devil will, will use these four things to, to attack the church as a whole, but, but just remember, you are the church. I am the church. He will do that. He will do the same things individually. He, can, he will bring discouragement to your life. He will bring division to your life. He will put thoughts in your mind saying that it's a certain conversations or certain relationships are a certain way, and they really aren't. And so Satan will do those things. So if, if, if that has been you, I just want you to just right now ask the Lord for strength. Ask the Lord, Lord, Show me. Show me the, the ways against doubt. Lord, call me to an attitude of prayer to fight against those things for the discouragement of life. Ask the Lord to remove discouragement from your life, to remove deception in your life, the way the devil twists the truth in your life, for the division in your heart, in your family, possibly in your marriage, Whatever division could be happening in your life, in your, in your friendships, you know, the Lord doesn't want that. That's not his will. And so, devil, talking to you right now, you have no authority in this body of believers. You have no authority over this body of believers. We know your schemes of casting doubt, deception, discouragement, and division. And by the blood of Jesus, we resist you. We resist you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Next week, we close out the Call of Duty series. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. Come back next week. I can't wait to share it. And uh, just know this. We love you guys. Let's walk in unity. Let's walk in love and do as Jesus prayed right there in John 17. All right? Love you guys. We'll see you all back next week. Thank you all.